You're listening to a resource from Jamboree Anglican Church. All right, let me lead us in prayer. Loving Father, thank you so much that you've given us the Bible so that we can know your mind. And we pray now that as we spend some time looking at this amazing section in the book of Ephesians, that we'd understand just what your plan is like. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever asked the question, what does success look like? Uh, it's the kind of thing that you might in a team ask when you're trying to work out what the heck we're doing and, and, and trying to get your focused on, uh, focus on what the outcomes really should be for that group of people at that particular time. We had a vision day here two weeks ago and uh, we were trying to work out, in a sense, what does success look like for a church? Now, I don't love that word success in terms of what a church has at its goal. It's a bit of a kind of worldly word. But this sort of question does narrow our focus and think, what should we be putting our energy into? What should we really be hoping that we as under God would be able to be doing? Uh, It might come up with different outcomes depending on exactly what we think is our aim in, in life. Let's say that our main purpose was to provide welfare for Jamboree. And if that was the case, then we know that we would have hit our goal or achieved our vision or had success if everybody who had a need in Jamboree had got something from us. You know, they'd received some money or some food or some counselling or whatever it is. If that was our main goal and we could measure it, we'd say we've got success. Or maybe if our main goal was that we would have a message that every single person in Jamboree could be united with, then we'd say, okay, we have succeeded if every person in Jamboree likes what we have to say and agrees with what we have to say, which means we'd need to have a message that was, wasn't at all bumpy. It's kind of like... Be kind to one another. And people would say, oh, gee, they're a lovely church. We all agree with that. If that's what success looks like, then that is what we would do and we'd measure it that way. Or maybe we might say that success looks like an increase in attendance. So we need more bums on seats or pews or whatever. And you say, if we can get ourselves 500 people here on a weekend, then we have got success. And if that was our main thing that we were doing, we'd, uh, we'd make ourselves even more entertaining. Or maybe we'd say a whole lot of stuff that says, come along and we'll make you healthier or wealthier or whatever it is. And we'd do whatever we can to get more people into the church. That would be what we would do if we were driven by numbers. Can you sort of see that asking that question of what does success look like will tune you into what you should be putting your attention to? So what does success look like? I want to suggest to you that uh, those are not three things that we should be having as our aims here at Jamboree Anglican. We want to know what success looks like And to know what success really looks like, I think we need to look and see what Jesus sees as success, to use that word again. What is his plan for the world? What is his sort of mission, vision? What are his values? All that kind of stuff to to use that, that brainstorming techniques that corporations do these days. If we want to understand what Jesus's, if we understand what Jesus's mission and plan is all about, then we'll understand what our church's mission and plan should be about, and indeed what our own personal 
mission and plan should be all about. See, we all need to know what is the plan of our church. Even if this is the first time or the second time, we've only been here a few times. I just want you to know that we want to be a church that is aligned to Jesus, even if that means that it might sometimes be a bit bumpy along the way in the way that our world perceives us. Today, we're going to try and find that plan in the Bible And I don't think we need to try because we will succeed because God has explained it to us so clearly in the words. And we're looking at the second instalment of our 17-week series on the book of Ephesians. We are going to go into a lot of detail. We're going to look at individual sentences and sometimes individual phrases and sometimes even individual words. Because what we have is such a rich section of the Bible. We, We don't want to just scoff it down. We want to actually taste it bit by bit. And so we're going to do that. And this is the section we're looking at today. It's from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. I mentioned last week um, as a sort of a nerdy statement that, that in the original language in which this was written, in the Greek, it's one sentence, all from verse 3 through to 14. There are no commas, no pauses, it's all the way through. And so when we have it translated into English for us, which I'm really pleased we've got it in English, you kind of can work out which bit are we going to focus in on. And we're looking at these four verses today. Let me read them. It's on the screen as well. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan that at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Jesus would bring praise and glory to God. That's the bit. Don't know if you noticed some things along the way. I could have asked, I could yell, ask you to yell out some different things you noticed, uh, but I won't. But you just you see there that it's talking about God's plan. Well, let's have a look a bit of it in more detail. It starts off with verse 9, just the first half. Let's have a look firstly. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. The first little bit. The first thing we need to realize there is that God has revealed his will to us. He's revealed his will to us. Now, so what? Well, I'll tell you so what. God doesn't have to tell us what he's doing, okay? He doesn't have to go into every single detail about what his plan is. He's not accountable to us like he's a politician that needs to say, well, there's a reason why I did it this way. Or company directors, when they have all the shareholders together and they say, well, these are the reasons why we made these strategic decisions. God doesn't have to do that. But he actually, in kindness, said, I want you to know what's happening and I'm going to reveal to you my inner mind, my inner workings. It's a beautiful gift, really. I love the Bible because it helps us know what God is thinking. And we can trust it because we get to know his plan. When I'm around medical people, I tend to ask lots and lots of questions. So if if there's a dentist and he says, okay, well, I just need to do a few things, I'm like, I can just tell you. And I want to know exactly what he's going to do before he goes and hacks away at my gums and teeth and stuff like that. Give me the details. What are the pros and cons? What are my options? Uh, When our first child was being born, 
um, we were we ended up in a um, uh, in a hot tub because of the place we were in it was a it was a pain relief kind of thing and right at that moment the midwife said well unless we do anything now it's going to be a water birth we thought oh okay um, so my initial reaction at that point in time was right we weren't planning that can you sort of talk us through the pros and cons of a water birth and it was at that stage that that Mandy sort of politely intervened to sort of say. Look, probably now is not a great time to have a bit of a medical discussion. She had her minds on other things at that time. It was uh, getting fairly close to the, uh, the pointy end of delivery, and uh, I was right to stop asking questions. But you can sometimes you, you want to sort of know, oh, right, how's this all work? God says, listen, I'll tell you how it all works. I'll give you the plan. I want you to understand how I've made the world and all this stuff because I want to keep you informed. And that's exactly what he's done. But we see here that his plan is mysterious. It's interesting, isn't it? Mysterious. God's plan is mysterious. Now, I, I quite like seeing a good mystery. If you ever see uh, you know, those sort of one-hour shows and it starts off with a murder and then one by one you see the different suspects turn up and the detective, he or she is confused and they're trying to work out what's happening and they're putting the pieces together and you're sure it's that bloke and then you realise it can't be that bloke and bit by bit it goes through, right through till you get it to the very, very end and... By some miracle, the detective works out that it was, you know, Professor Plod in the whatever library with the candlestick. They work it all out. And you go, oh, never saw that coming. She was the lovely, kind person. I didn't see that she had the evil to, ah, ah, whatever, you know. And when you then find out what the answer is that you may not expect, you then look back and say... It's funny, she wasn't where we thought she was back earlier on. And isn't it interesting that she asked that question or that she was in that spot? And then they go through and they, they sort of, as the detective is explaining the mystery, you say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, never saw it coming, but it now makes total sense. That's what God's plan is like. When we understand it, we look back and go, whoa, never saw that coming, but now it makes sense. And that is why the Apostle Paul, who grew up as a Jew of Jews, can now be a guy who's a Christian and can say, this mystery, it's just wow. And that's what we're getting today. The plan is mysterious. But what do we learn about it? Second half of verse 9. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ. We've looked at that bit. Which is to fulfill his own good plan. Okay, here's the plan bit. Here's the what does success look like. Here's the mission statement, whatever it is. We see here that God fulfills his good plan. With God, there is no plan B. God is completely in control of everything. There's another uh, all-age song we could have chosen to sing today. Is another one we sing sometimes called, it says, God never says oops, never slips up, never makes any mistake because he's got the perfect plan. It's a great little song. Uh, my kids have been singing it for 20 years. And uh, it just is that simplicity that God doesn't look down and say, time for plan B. It's like, no. He fulfills his good plan. And that is a great comfort. Everything that God revealed to his people in the Old Testament has come true in Jesus. And although the fulfillment of the plan really has got this awesome 
plot twist that we'll look at in a moment, it was always intended to be that way. But it's not just that it's a successful plan, it's actually a good plan. Uh, it, it's, uh, if, you, if you look at some other translations of the Bible, you'll see that the, the word pleasure that we looked at last week is actually here as well. It's the same Greek word. It's not just a good plan. I, I reckon it would be a pleasurable plan would probably be a nicer way. Although it's fine. God, good, good plan is a good way to translate it. But this plan gives God pleasure. It's like when, you, when you've got um, – you, you buy some Ikea stuff and you've got the plan – and you get to the end of putting it together and you realise there's no missing bits. And you think, ah, pleasure. You know? And you put it together and it's mainly level. You're thinking, pleasure, this is good. This is the pleasure that God gets as he does his plan. And it's a good plan and it gives him pleasure. And no, no wonder why he wants us to know about his plan. You know, if I spent an entire, I had some friends and they moved house and they said, can you come over and help? I said, sure. I went to help them out and they said, and I said, what can I do to help? Well, most of the things are done, but we've got just a little bit of Ikea furniture. Huh, a little bit of Ikea furniture. The boxes are flat packed were this high. It's like, do you reckon you can just put together a few of the wardrobes? A few of the wardrobes. Love to. Remember that, Mandy? We're there for eight hours. It, it was awesome. And then when it's done, it's like, how good is this? You know, my fingers are bleeding from Allen keys and it's like all that sort of stuff. But it was a, it was a lovely way to be able to say, look at, look at my work. It's all here. God has said, I've got this plan and it's done. And he says, it brings me pleasure. And we get pleasure as we see it right now. So what's the plan? Well, verse 10 and this is the plan, just in case you were wondering. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. That's the plan. The plan is to bring everything under Christ's rule. That there will be a time in history when everybody will declare that Jesus is king. There's another part of the Bible that, saw, that says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Uh, it doesn't actually mean that everybody's going to love saying it. Some will say it through gritted teeth. Oh, he's king and I knew it, but I never acknowledged it and it's going to be anger upon them. But everybody at one stage will say, Jesus is king. And I've got to say, it's sometimes hard to imagine what that would really be like. Because it's the case right now. He's actually ruling the whole world. But so many people don't see it. I mean, every time you get a breaking news thing pop up on your phone, nine times out of ten is to do with something to do with COVID-19. Of course, it's the big news story. It's, it's the thing that's overshadowing everything at the moment. But imagine what it would be like if you get this breaking news from the ABC that said, today, in a Christian group in Kiama High, two young people decided to follow Jesus. Boom. Wow. I don't care how many cases there are in Victoria. Bam. That's the news. You know, and, and all these other things popping up. That This is what it is actually like for Jesus to be the one who is ruling the world. And his plan is to bring everybody under Christ's rule. And I wonder if you actually believe this. Do you really believe that Jesus rules the whole world? Or is this just some sort of little construct, a, a, a sort of a safety blanket, a comfort blanket that is a Sunday thing that you put on your lap in your hole when there are sad things, but you forget it the rest of the time? 
24-7. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. He's Lord over the United Nations. They all come together with, with their different languages and they try and make decisions and the world health, this, whatever, and all that kind of stuff. And you think, is Jesus anywhere in all of that? Oh, no, he's over there. He's kind of just in churches and whatever. No, he rules the lot. He holds history in his hands. That can be hard to imagine. It's totally true. It's what he's saying right here. This is the most real thing in the universe, and it is what everything is heading towards. When will it happen? It'll happen at the right time, or, or literally when the times are fulfilled. The time, the plan will be completed when the time is right. And we already see signs of it now. But I've got to say, I find it hard to think about next year or the year after. Do you feel that at the moment, that, that at the moment we are really in the zone right now? We'd, kind of, um, we'd made some travel plans for the end of the year. We've still got lots of money paid in airline tickets that we're hoping they'll say, we're not going to fly anymore, please give it back. We're waiting to see. But like that's like another world away end of the year. We're just thinking right now. What are the restrictions this week? What are the number of deaths? What are the number of illnesses? All this kind of stuff. And how is it? All that stuff. We're kind of in this zone right now. It's hard to see beyond all of this. We wait patiently to hear news of a cure or a vaccine. We wait patiently to hear whether or not your job can return to normal so you can do what you normally would do so that you can get a living so that blah, 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 all this sort of stuff. We're sort of stuck in this moment in a way, surviving. But the point is... Jesus is Lord of everything, and when the future time comes, he is going to reveal it all, and all of this is going to happen. And now we are in that process of leading it towards that. So how has this plan come to be? Well, it's at this point that we see that the plan starts with some special people. The plan starts with some special people. Now, uh, I, I need to get just a little bit nerdy. And so for some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, bring it on. Others, it's like, how many bricks are there in the wall? We've painted over the bricks, so you can't count them. Okay, so, uh, but what I, I need to tell you that the next two verses, verses 11 and 12, I think they fit really together, tightly together. And our translation that we use here in our church has got a paragraph break between verse 11 and 12. Other translations put them together. There's all, it's kind of like, it's okay, there's different interpretations, that's kind of cool. But I reckon they stick together really nicely. And I think that we need to see, as they are together, that it is, there's something very significant is happening about who the we is that's talked about and the you. Okay, that's a little nerdy. It's going to get even more nerdy. Have a look at... Stick with me. Uh, verses 11 and 12. It's really, really important. Okay. It's not that hard, but it's, it's a little interesting. Furthermore, verses 11 and 12, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. I think they're all together. And when you read the third word there, and it says, furthermore, because we are united with Christ, you get the word we, and then you get the we have received an inheritance. I think what it is saying there is it's not actually talking about all Christians. I think it is actually talking to the first Christians who were originally Jews. I think it's actually talking to the Jews. 
Because in verse 13, which we're getting to next week, it doesn't talk about we, we, we. It says you. Now, why would he do that? I think the key to understanding these two verses and to understanding heaps of the Bible is to realise that God's plan started with the Jews who then came to know Jesus, who then shared the message of Jesus with the rest of the world. And so when it's talking about the we here, it's not actually talking about Jody McNeil, who's descended from the Mook Scots kind of thing. It's actually talking about the Abrahams and the Isaacs and the Jews, right? Who heard about Jesus, ticked the boxes as they were supposed to, following Jesus as king, and then shared that message with people like us in Jamboree. And we are all included in it together. That's the too-long-didn't-read bit summary for the next 10 minutes. But let's have a bit of a deeper look, okay? Have a look here. The point is with this that the plan starts with the Jews. The plan starts with the Jews. All of that section there is talking about what happened to the original believers in Christ. Have a look again at the verses. Furthermore, because we... People like the Apostle Paul, who grew up as a Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, had a bar mitzvah, wore a Jewish hat, all that kind of stuff, fully in the Jewish thing. He is united with Christ. He received an inheritance from God. For for God chose people like the Apostle Paul, the Jew, in advance... And he makes everything work out according to God's plan. God's purpose was that we, the Jews... Another nerdy thing, the word Jews is actually not in the original language, but the translators have put it in there really helpfully, I think, to to make this clearer, because I think it's obvious. But the purpose is that we, the Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, like Paul and those who Jesus walked around with, they would bring praise and glory to God. Now, why do I think that? Well, amongst other things, you see the word inheritance, or a word just like it, talked about in the Old Testament as being the thing that God's people got from God. So when Paul can say, say we have received an inheritance, I think he's got things like this in mind. Here's from the, a bit from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 32, 8 and 9. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations... When he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession, his inheritance. So I think that when the Apostle Paul, is the bit we were looking at before, when he says, we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance, what he is saying here is that... God's special people, Israel, are the ones who have been promised to receive a blessing from God. The first two-thirds of the Bible talk about it all the time. And so they have received that in advance. And so now when we look again at these verses, it's talking about God's original people. Jews got the inheritance first. They got the inheritance first. They got the blessings first. The Apostle Paul, who's very much the Jewish guy, 
he got them first. He recognised that Jesus really was the king of the Jews, that he really was the one who was the servant of the Lord that was promised in Isaiah 53, that he really was the son of David. Yeah, understood all that. He needed to be whacked on the back of the head by Jesus, bang, to get it clear, but he finally got it. And when he did, it was a wow moment. See, right at the start of the Bible, God made a promise to one of the most famous guys in the Old Testament, Abram. He said to him in chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, very famously, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So he's saying to Abraham, God's saying to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you and your family, and through that, I'm going to bless all families on earth. And back then, you'd think Abraham's like, wow, that's a mission. That's a big picture. I wonder what it'll look like. It happened thousands of years after him. But here's how it looks right here, right now. The Apostle Paul got that inheritance when he realised that Jesus was Lord, that Jesus, the Jew, was in fact the one who was the saviour for the whole world. And he got to know it and he received that. And because of that, he and the other first Christians who were Jews wanted to go out and tell everyone in the world about the good news of Jesus. And so they then, the Jewish Christians, preached to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles is just another nerdy word for the nations, the non-Jews. That's us in the room, unless you're of Jewish origin, right? We are the ones who now have heard it from those first ones. So it's a bit of an us and them, which is okay. But the amazing thing is that, this is really amazing, let me get a bit of a jig. The really amazing thing is this, that when you see all those promises that were given to Abraham, all of those came true in Jesus. And people who are non-Jews like us get them as well. So when it said, I'm going to give you a special land, it said it to Abraham, The way it now is to be understood spiritually is that it's not the physical land of Israel. It's the heavenly realms. That is where God is. That is where Christ is. And all of this fulfillment comes, Jews and Gentiles together. And now Gentile Christians get all the Jewish Christian blessings. Next week we'll see from verse 13 onwards that it it talks about this. But the point is this. That it goes from the we, the Jews, as Paul's talking, to the you, the Gentiles, which includes me. And we get that because we hear the gospel, which is a technical word for the good news of Jesus. And that means we get all the Christian blessings. We get all the Jewish blessings. Last week I gave you that funny illustration, I thought it was fairly funny, about how you wanted to get into the member stand of the SCG and you don't have a ticket, you know a mate who does, who happens to have a really, really big trench coat and you happen to be pretty skinny, you've got a plan, 
That is, if you can somehow get under his trench coat and somehow not be conspicuous, then when he gets ushered into the member stand and then somehow, I don't know what happens in terms of seats, but anyway, it's a watertight analogy, trust me. You get in because of his membership, right? Here's the amazing thing. Because we are united with Christ, we, have, we are in Christ, we get all the spiritual blessings of Christ, which are the same spiritual blessings that the Jews who follow Jesus get, all united in one. So this doesn't mean the Gentiles are second-class citizens. It just means we need to understand how God's plan worked. First for the Jews, those who believed in Jesus, bam! And then they share the gospel with non-Jews and bam, we get it too. We're all in the party together. Whether you're early in the party or late in the party, it's all in the party. Now with that in mind, you see a lot of the stuff that Jesus talked about, didn't you, about wedding banquets and letting people in late and all that. It's the same stuff. Why does this all matter? Why does it matter? Well, it's important because Gentile Christians receive the promises of God. Gentile Christians are not second-class citizens. But there are some more things about it that are amazing. And that is that our salvation is part of God's plan A. I mentioned that already. But it's not like God said, well, I'm having this party and only a couple of people came in. What do I do? Plan B, open the doors and don't collect tickets. Just whoever comes in because I've got all this food that's going to go off, right? No. God's plan A was that we who were Gentiles, non-Jews, would be included. It was always the plan. And that is why we need to recognise that God is in control of all these things and be thankful for that. But there's another thing we need to see with all of this. And that is we need to read the Bible as first for the Jew. It is really tempting to read the whole Bible from the very start right to the very end. And any time it says anything to anyone about anything, you think it's talking about you. You know. Now, in a sense, it is talking about you, but in a special sense. You see, it's, the Old Testament is talking about God's Jewish people. And then when you get to the New Testament, it is talking about how those Jewish people, some of them, come to know Jesus. Most don't, but some do. And then when they understand the gospel of Jesus, they share it with the Gentiles. And it's all part of God's plan from start to finish. Now, that means that we need to see that the Old Testament people are actually a bit different to us. And we mustn't just say that if, a, if God says to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you lots of land, it doesn't mean that if you follow Jesus, you're going to be a real estate baron. It doesn't work that way. You've got to realise the way the blessings work. You've got to realise the way that the Bible works. And when you realise this, you also see it all throughout the New Testament. Jesus says one group, another group. You see the Apostle Paul talks about the we and the you all the time. You think, ah, now you show it to me. I can't unsee that. And we're going to get it over and over again in, gen- in, the, in, in the book of Ephesians. And the beautiful thing we'll see even more is what it means to have us all together. But with all of this, we also need to see that God is the one who is making this all happen and he is the one who is making his plan come out. Can you see why the Apostle Paul would say, 
Well, stagger me, I never saw that coming. What a mystery. The fact that I get to the point and these non-Jews who had a sign, we had a sign for them in our temple that said, stay out, you stink, right? Well, words to that effect. And now it's like, come on down. How does that, what a mystery. Never saw that coming. When the rabbis were teaching me when I was 13, never saw that. And now he can say, wow, I get this and I understand it. And I look back and I say, ah, ah, that makes sense. That makes sense. The nations, the nations, the nations. It's all throughout the Old Testament as well. And now I see it and I didn't see it before. And what is the word he uses for it? A mystery. Wow, what a mystery. And what a joy. So if that's the plan for Jesus, that all things would come together under his rule, Jews who follow Jesus and Gentiles who follow Jesus together, what does success look like for us? What should our mission as a church look like? It's got to be the same as Jesus' mission, doesn't it? It's about everyone knowing what it means for Jesus to be Lord. What, everyone, what it means for everyone to know what it means for Jesus to be king. Because this is a train that is not going to stop. Jesus is thrusting forward through history with his train and it's heading to that end point and everyone will acknowledge one day that Jesus is king. And so it's a case of get on board. Get on board that train. Don't let it be the thing that runs you over. Let it be the thing that saves you. See, success is everyone hearing the good news of Jesus. And so if you wanted to have some sort of, if we had a, a, a statement of KPIs, you know, organisations like have key performance indicators, all that kind of stuff, the KPI for our church here in Jamboree would be, does every single resident know and understand what it means for Jesus to be king. Doesn't mean that they have to agree with it. Some of them will say, that's the biggest load of rubbish I've ever heard in my life. Forget it. Now, that's not my job. My job's not to make them Christians. Your job's not to do that. It's just to let everyone know how good it is to follow Jesus and let them make up their mind. That's what the Apostle Paul did. And that's what we should do as well. That is what success looks like. Can you see that aligning our plans with Jesus's makes everything? And I've got to say also, as I wrap things up right now, that if it's possible that you have not yet come to Jesus and that you have not said, Jesus, I now, for the first time, understand that you are the loving ruler of the universe and I'm sorry that I've lived my life rejecting you. If you're at that point and you want to say sorry to Jesus and you want to be reconciled with him and be forgiven by him and know his love and know that you are on his train and you are safe, don't walk away today without doing that because his is the plan. It's the overarching meta-narrative of the whole universe and you are part of it. So get on board. Let's pray. Our loving Father, what an amazing plan. A mind-blowing plan that, that there would be Gentiles included in great number in your kingdom. And we thank you that you converted the Apostle Paul and a bunch of other Jews and helped them to see that Jesus is the King of the Jews and that by them receiving that inheritance in full, we who believe their message now 
have received with them every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And we thank you, thank you, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Jembrew Anglican Church. For more information, head to jembrewanglican.com.